Welcome to Just the Taste. I'm Scott Curry with Chef's Best. We gather to talk about the trends in marketing, retail, and production in food and beverage that are shaping the industry. We are joined today by Scott Riefler. Scott is Chief Science Officer for Source Technology, a water-soluble technology for infusing products with hemp extract and terpenes, as well as a company that helps with new product incubation, cannabis profile development, flavor profile development, and other cannabis development-related services. Prior to joining Source in his key role, Scott was VP Sales for TIC Gums, which, and I'm getting way out of my technical league here, helps companies during the formulation process with texture and stabilization needs through hydrocolloid and blended gum system technologies. He also was in business development with specialty chemicals and materials technology company, SciTech Industries. He has been a certified food scientist through the Institute of Food Technologies for over six years. Scott, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Scott. I'm pleased to be here. Excellent. So dumb it down for us a little bit. What is Source and uh, what do you do in your critical leadership position? Well, Source um, Technologies is focused on delivering um, or presenting oils of interest in water-soluble platforms. And of course, uh, we're going to talk today about um, cannabis extracts, um, which would include also um, hemp extracts. And the idea here is to basically turn these materials into workable food ingredients or workable platforms so that they can easily be incorporated into foods and beverages. So as, as chief science officer, I'm responsible for all things science here at Source Tech, um, to making sure that we've developed a um, uh, an making sure that we have developed a very solid and robust platform and then of course evolving that platform so that we can expand the utility um, handle broader breadth of oil-based materials and advance the technology in a sense so that we are always out in front of what customers customer desires would be all right so let's walk through some of the critical characteristics of cannabis. There's, I, I understand there's cannabinoids, terpenes, flavonoids. All this is very, very new to the public conscience. Um, what, what should a lay, lay person understand about the characteristics and, and how do they influence the experience, whether it's CBD related or something that may have THC within? No, so that's a, that's a very good question. And, and here in the United States, we have to recognize that we come from a platform of, I don't want to say ignorance, but in the 70s and the 80s with the quote unquote war on drugs um, and the listing of cannabis as a plant, as a schedule one drug, it essentially barred any kind of research um, into, the, into the plant itself. Um, the cannabis plant is actually quite interesting. It has reported to have over 116 um, um, bioactive materials contained within, um, which, is a, which is very rich compared to uh, many other uh, plants. Um, and the, the contents can be broken down into categories. Um, cannabinoids um, would be the um, active materials or materials that are viewed as being bioactive. And these would include materials like THC, and CBD, these are probably the, the two best or widest known by the general public. 
Um, there are what are referred to as minor cannabinoids. And what that means is they're in the plant, but not typically at the high ratios of something like THC. These would include materials like CBN and CBG. And there's a whole list of um, uh, there's a whole list of chemical related chemical structures, which would be the uh, cannabinoids. Um, another major component would be the terpenes. Um, I mean, when I say major, I mean major in terms of recognized by people. Um, uh, that doesn't mean that they're in there at major quantities. But terpenes are the materials that are associated with the aroma that the uh, cannabis plant would possess. Um, those that um, are familiar with cannabis will recognize that different strains have different smells and, act and actually will have different um, different effects. A lot of the if not all of the difference in smell and aroma is driven by different terpenes that are present. And there are many people that believe that the uh, terpenes interact with the cannabinoids to give very specific um, uh, physical effects. Um, flavonoids, um, flavonoids would be the components that are believed to provide specific health benefits. Um, they're essentially antioxidants. So most people are familiar with the term antioxidant. And what an antioxidant is, is a material that will scavenge um, free radicals um, and often metal ions as well, which are considered to be deleterious or harmful, you know, harmful to, to folks. So in a sense, those would be the major components or the components that most people are familiar with um, within the cannabis plant. And of course, I, I almost think it goes without saying, but THC is known for its psychotropic effects. That's the component that will get you high. Um, CBD is in cannabis and hemp at, at, at reasonably high quantities. And CBD is a material that many people are believing um, provides anti-inflammatory um, benefits. And of course, it's the platform for the epidolix drug, which is being, um, which has found great success with dealing with a, um, um, a group of population, um, basically children with epilepsy. Got it. So that was a, a great rundown. And... Uh, so Scott, what I'm about to do is ask about dosing. If you don't, if you don't get my whole prelude here, um, yeah, good. So with you know, obviously you can manipulate all those, um, and 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 through that you come up with I think what you call the concept of a dose, right? So this would be assured that someone that if you're taking something that's five milligrams, that it's always five milligrams, uh, ten milligrams, or what have you. Uh, and that concept is familiar to us through the pharma industry, industry, the, the traditional pharma industry, where I know I'm taking 500 milligrams of Tylenol, for example. Um, but you can also, uh, I believe, you know, manipulate those characteristics as well, the, the ones that you mentioned, the terpenes and so on. So how important is dosing moving forward uh, to build public trust, to, you know, be able to market these products properly? And, and what steps are taken by source to ensure that dosing is, is accurate? Yeah, that's, that's a terrific question. And I'm going to give you a fairly long answer because dosing actually um, involves a, a, number of, um, a number of facets. 
And I, I like the example you gave of, um, you know, Tylenol or some other sort of um, over-the-counter material, whether it be ibuprofen, aspirin, or Tylenol. Um, the public has a great trust in branded companies. And what I mean by that is when you take a Tylenol and it says there's 200 milligrams um, of active material present, there is, in fact, a plus or minus range associated with that. Most people will take it for granted that if the bottle says 200 milligrams, they're getting a 200 milligram dose. But I would also point out that if you were to measure the dosage in each one of those pills, the average would likely be 200 milligrams, but some are going to be 198, some are going to be 203, so on and so forth. Um, so it is important to recognize that there is variability in almost anything. The real question is, are you containing the, the variability to a level that makes it insignificant? And that's what branded companies do. So now as we enter, let's talk a little bit more about the, um, the source platform. Um, as I said, what we are doing is taking these oils, which are difficult to work with, the oils, the extracts from the plant themselves, um, and turning them into a water-based platform for food and beverage. And I think you can instantly see the, um, uh, the desirability. When we talk about accurate dosing, precise dosing, and uniform dosing, we also have to consider the format. If we're putting THC or CBD into a beverage, well, the THC and CBD are oils. And if you drop them into a bottle, they're going to float to the top. Um, so while the bottle may have the right amount of dosage in it, it's very localized. And that's unacceptable. Um, first sip has to be the same as the last sip. Or if we're going into a food platform, the first bite has to be the same as the last bite. So what we're doing here is we're taking these oils and emulsifying them. We're turning them into a water-based a water emulsion or a water-soluble emulsion. So that when you add the material to, let's say, a bottle of water or a glass of water, it auto-disperses and forms complete homogeneity in that bottle, meaning the first sip is going to contain exactly the same amount of active material as the last set. And we do this in a manner that provides long-term stability, meaning the oils aren't going to float to the top of the bottle, nor are they going to sink. If you think about, um, if you think about uh, beverages that have fats and oils in them, when they sit on a shelf, often you will see that. You'll see a, a ring around the top of the bottle, which means all the oils have migrated to the top. Mm -hmm. um, our emulsion technology prevents that from happening um, over um, very long periods of time. And the other thing that's inescapable from dosage when I'm just sort of laying out the platform here is in fact the sensory bit. Um, cannabinoid extracts, specifically CBD or THC, are extremely bitter um, to the point where they're, they're distasteful. So when we created our emulsion platform, we wanted to manage that as well. We wanted to isolate that bitterness um, from the sensory experience and do it in a way that wasn't using maskins or overlays like heavy sugars or cinnamon or spearmints to hide it. We actually wanted to isolate that flavor, and we've, we've been very successful at that. Um, and it's, it's not the isolation like a, um, like a fish oil capsule where you swallow the fish oil capsule, you'll taste the fish oil upon reflux. By 
building this very robust um, encased oil droplet, emulsified, if you will. Um, we completely isolate the, uh, the negative sensory. The next, the next level when we talk about dosing, um, we also have to talk about how much is available to the body and what rate it's absorbed. We also have to start talking about the levels that we're talking about. Um, if we start with combustion, um, smoking a, a marijuana cigarette or a cannabis cigarette, most of the cannabis grown today is about 20% THC, and a cannabis cigarette has about one gram of leaf matter in it. So that translates to 200 milligrams of THC as quote-unquote a dose. Um, we have to recognize that uh, the THC, some of that is lost to smoke in the room as the cigarette burns, so on and so forth. When we move over to the edible platform, dosage numbers drop dramatically, um, and that's because of the way the body will absorb material um, and how the body processes the material. A 10 milligram dose in an edible platform, whether that's a beverage or added to food or a brownie or a cookie, is considered an adequate dose. So it's, it's significantly lower than what's in combustion. Most markets for THC, in fact, um, regulations limit the dose to 10 milligrams per dose and a maximum dose or a maximum of uh, package or unit set at 100 milligrams. So as these numbers get smaller, actually the analytical science associated with determining how much is present and then doing that in a both accurate and precise manner is, is a bit of a challenge. And in fact, our industry um, is spending a tremendous amount of time and resource to get develop standardized test methodologies that can be used by every lab and consumers can look, in, look into the, the test methodology as well and be assured that the analytical results that are coming out of the lab are in fact accurate and precise representing what's in, what's in, the, what's in the, the food or the beverage platform. That was a, a fascinating walkthrough. I appreciate you taking the time to do that. It, so if I, a question about the industry, if I walk into a shop in California and there are untold number of brands in there, where are we right now as an industry in, in, in the supplying to the public in the trust level? Is, is source an exception to the rule? I'm not asking you to bash anyone, but where do we stand? And because the food and beverage industry has nailed it, right? It, 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 if I buy a Snickers, it's going to taste like a Snickers everywhere, every time, any, <laughs> any location. What, are, is source the exception to the rule right now, or is this, or should we have well, a high level of confidence? You know. Well, let, let let me let me take a shot at answering that. Um, it is a nascent field. There's no question about that. And the way I see the market developing, or I'd say the way we see the market developing, there's there's two camps, not one good, one bad, just two camps. There are people in the edible category that are coming at this completely from a food and beverage platform, a CPG mentality, and viewing these as ingredients that they want to add to their substrate or add to their platforms, their platforms becoming a delivery system. Then the other camp would be what I call the cannabis camp, this new industry that's emerging, that's coming at it strictly from or predominantly from folks that 
are believers in cannabis and they're looking for delivery systems and they're entering the market, not necessarily with a food or a beverage background. Um, we also have an overlay to that, that right now we do not have significant federal involvement. Um, the questions you're asking, you say the food and beverage industry has this nailed. Of course they do, because there's this wonderful organization um, known as the Food and Drug Administration that has regulatory responsibility for the food supply to make sure that it's safe and, and protects every citizen. So if I'm making a beverage that has got caffeine in it, for example, an active material, um, there are very specific guidelines and guidances that come from FDA on all facets, including how to analyze and test for the presence of caffeine. Because cannabis is not yet legal on a federal level or a national level here, the FDA has minimal to no involvement with what's going on at the state level. So each state, in a sense, um, develops its own um, guidance and regulations for those operating in the, in the space. Um, and that has some implications, and this is going to get a little specific, but in the field of testing, um, whether it be for potency or content, each state is setting up its own requirements for testing. Um, and providing its own oversight. Um, in the food industry, we would be much more comfortable with um, a published test method, for example, for, for determining assay, um, something that could um, experience peer review, so on and so forth. Um, and in the cannabis space right now, that's not the way it is. As I say, each state has its own guidance. They qualify their own laboratories under their own requirements. And often the laboratories keep their methodology proprietary. Um, and there's there's one more edge to that that I'll that I'll come back to. I'm going to contrast that with the food space where we have you know very um, very well respected organizations like AOAC, like um, ACS, um, ASTM. Um, these are all organizations that are. Their purpose in life is to develop um, test methods that, that everybody can use and understand. So the food industry is racing towards this space with the kind of control and regulation and oversight that I think you're referring to. The states are, are doing a very good job, but specifically in the arena of testing, specifically for things like edibles where dosage levels are relatively low, that is still an evolving, that is still an evolving um, prospect. So what consumers can do, and it's what consumers will do, they will gravitate towards brands that demonstrate capability and ability to deliver on their claims. Um, not always the easiest thing, but the industry is maturing rather quickly. Um, companies that are taking the right steps and doing, doing things in a transparent manner, um, these are the companies that are going to develop brands and move forward. So is Source unique or alone in this endeavor? No but we put a tremendous amount of focus on it because we are viewing this from the food space area um, in terms of consumer safety, so on and so forth. Um, and I would imagine that if history is any guide that, you know, a credible company like Source is creating the blueprint that, you know, some of these future regulatory bodies may, you know, may rely on as the gold standard for these. Um, let's talk flavor a little bit because, uh, you know, I, I wonder where flavor fits because in 
to use the obvious analog of alcohol, if I'm enjoying a glass of wine, flavor matters, right? One is yes. there's, there's social status in drinking something that has a certain flavor. And I'm going to consume that glass of wine over maybe, the, if I'm lucky, the course of 45 minutes. And I don't know, what's that? 12, 15 sips and the lingering effects of it. Um, if I have an edible, I may only be consuming it for 10 seconds. Yet there's cinnamon flavors, there's mint flavors, there's different, uh, perhaps different, um, more uh, cannabis related flavors. Um, so I have a question about the role of flavor. And then also a, a two part question, which is we're seeing regulation in the e cigarette area around flavor. Um, if you had a crystal ball, where's your best guess as to where flavor goes, both from a consumer preference standpoint and, and perhaps a, a regulatory standpoint as well? Yeah, again, another great and almost unending question. So let's see if I can break that down um, just a little bit. And let's talk about the e-cig first. Um, flavor is part of it. Um, we've seen something horrible occur in the, um, what I'll just call the vapor um, vaporization um, category, where some unscrupulous providers were using non-approved diluents recognize that um, whether it's nicotine or THC these materials are difficult to work with and are usually presented in some sort of a um, diluent or, or some sort of an oil is used to cut them so that they're workable lower the viscosity specifically um, vitamin E it turns out has been used in an unapproved unregulated manner that's caused some great harm. And that now that that's been identified, that's being dealt with. Also coupled with this is the concern of marketing to youth. Um, certainly the tobacco industry and definitely the cannabis industry both have taken great steps to limit, limit the use by children, to say it flat out. And built into the regulations and particularly as we get into the cannabis space um, the idea of making edibles or drinkables that appeal specifically to children because of their flavor profile that is restricted in most states and and shouldn't happen i mean frankly we don't need a tutti frutti beverage that's loaded up with thc okay mm -hmm. <laughs> so you know there's 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 those aspects so let's let's move away from that category right away. Then when we start talking about the edible experience, uh, there is another fork in the road. Um, many people believe, and, and I tend to be one of them, um, that if I'm consuming cannabis, I want it to be uh, a cannabis edible. I want it to be pleasant from a sensory standpoint. And you have to recognize that, again, THC, CBD, and many of the cannabinoids are extremely bitter. I mean, bitter to the point where you'd want to spit them out. Um, if we're talking leaf mint, and probably I should cover this a little bit, it also depends on the, the, the form of the cannabis we're talking about. If it's leaf, um, plant matter, it is going to have a plant matter taste and aroma. It's going to be gritty on your mouth or on your teeth. You're going to know that there's cannabis in what you're eating. Having said that, in the edible space, most people work with extraction byproducts or extraction products. Um, the cannabinoids are 
<clears throat> remove from the plant material using a, um, a solvent system, um, usually uh, supercritical CO2 or alcohol. And the, anything that is an oil will be extracted and collected. Um, the raw that is collected out of an extraction is often referred to as broad spectrum material. It can be refined a bit to remove waxes and um, chlorophylls um, with some terpenes remaining. This is often referred to as broad spectrum. So it'll still have a majority of the cannabinoids and some minor level of terpenes present. And then it can be cleaned even further in the case of uh, THC. It would be referred to as a distillate. A distillate would be about 85% um, pure THC with other minor cannabinoids present. Or in the case of CBD, it can be converted to an isolate. That would be 98, 99% pure CBD. So when we start talking about sensory and flavor, it is important to, to understand which material you're working with. If we work with the cleanest, um, i.e. the distillates and the isolates, these are almost odor-free, odor -free, so there will be no aroma, but to the taste, they'll be excessively bitter. So if we're formulating a beverage or a food that's going to contain a distillate or an isolate, that's where we believe it's important to isolate that bitterness from the sensory. So if you're going to put it in a confection product, it tastes like the confection product you created. Or if you're putting it in a baked good or you're doing a fancy dinner and you want to add it to one of the dishes like a shrimp scampi or something like that, it can be added in a very benign manner, meaning it's not going to change the sensory platform whatsoever. Um, I'm going to work up this channel and then I'm going to come back to the, uh, to the analogy with, with, um, with alcohol because it's actually, it's actually perfect. There are many people who believe that the combination of THC along with minor cannabinoids and some um, terpenes actually provide what's known as an entourage effect, meaning a synergy, um, an effect that is going to be greater than the individual components. And often this effect um, is something to do with either setting a mood or relieving pain or addressing an anxiety or something along those lines. For this category, broad spectrum, terpenes are present. So not only are these materials going to be very bitter, they are going to have a floral nature associated with them. Um, typically desirable um, by most people, but some people find the terpene smell somewhat offensive. If you carry these materials into a food or scent, uh, food or beverage platform, while we can do an excellent job of uh, mitigating or blocking the bitterness associated with the underlying cannabinoids, there will be some sensory, not only smell aroma, but some taste from the terpenes themselves. They tend not to be very bitter, but they do tend to be very floral in nature. So in this case, you are either going to try to hide those entirely with something like a, a cinnamon or a spice or something that is even more floral in nature, or you're going to do your best to attempt to pair them with um, flavor components that are going to accentuate in a very positive way the uh, sensory contribution that the terpenes make. So in, in layman's terms, um, in a beverage, if we wanted to include a broad spectrum material, we would emulsify it um, so that it has all the benefits we were talking about before, homogeneity, 
um, um, complete bitter blocking. And we'll also talk about, um, in a bit, we'll talk about bioabsorption and the rate at which your, your body is going to interact with the material. Um, but we're going we're gonna to do it with flavors that make sense. So many terpenes, for example, pair very well with citrus flavors. So if we wanted to put a broad spectrum um, material in a beverage, we would naturally flavor that with some sort of a citrus platform, whether it be pomegranate or grapefruit or something, something like that. Um, in the in the world of like cookies and edibles, um, uh, you're going to really run into the same kind of behavior. Now, when we when we talk about alcohol and wine is a great example because wine, same producer, same style. We do expect it to vary year to year because the grape and the growing season, all that varies year to year. And we can contrast that with maybe um, a national or global fast food brand where every hamburger is, no matter where you get it, when you get it, year to year is always going to taste exactly the same. Um, our industry hasn't, hasn't landed this question yet um, because each strain of cannabis is going to have a slightly different terpene profile, which means if we're using the extract in a form that has terpenes, you can expect it to vary crop to crop, season to season, region to region. So do we educate people to expect like what they expect with wine to vary a little bit? Or do they get educated that, no, it's going to be vodka and it's always going to taste exactly the same? And then the food compounder has to manage that through flavor addition. Is, that, is, this, is this making sense? Is this what I'm saying making sense here? It's making tremendous sense. You're, I, you're taking these complex ideas and concepts and just doing a wonderful job of describing uh, you know, what source does, where the industry stands. Um, it's very interesting. <laughs> And there's one last concept that we, we haven't really talked, but, it, but I'm obligated to. And that is, if you interact with cannabis through combustion, people know what to expect, just like they know what to expect if they drink a beer. Meaning, if I drink a beer, I kind of know what it's going to make me feel like. I kind of know what the duration is going to be like. I have, an, I have an expectation of the experience. And combustion is the same way. Edibles is entirely different. And there's some science behind why. Um, to start with, in the cannabis plant, THC and CBD, and in fact, most if not all the cannabinoids, are present in their acid form. And as you read literature, you'll often see that capital T, capital H, capital C, small a. In the acid form, in the as it exists in the plant, it is not bio. It's not bioactive in the human system. If you eat marijuana, leaf material, fresh off the plant, nothing's going to happen. I mean, you'll get bitter taste and it won't be pleasant, <laughs> but you're not going to feel anything. There's no psychotropic effect. <laughs> um, what we have to do is, is take that acid group away, and that's done through heating. So if a, a marijuana cigarette is smoked, it happens in situ while the, while the, leaf, mentators, while the leaf is burning. But when we do this for edibles, we have to make sure we make this conversion. And through the process of extraction, this is a very easy thing to do. 
But there is this long history, at least in the United States, of people eating marijuana, whether it's a honey slide or baked in a cookie or baked in a brownie, of having very variable effects. And that's driven by two things. One, if the um, conversion from the acid form is not complete, you don't really know what your dose is. And then there's the other bit of how the body will process an oil. And body, the, the human body is a little bit slow to process an oil. It actually has to emulsify it first in the stomach or um, through enzymatic digestion, break it apart. And then the body will try to cleanse itself almost immediately of these oils and shoot them off to the liver. And the liver is going to scrub the oils out of the blood system to the point it gets overloaded. And then you start getting the psychotropic effect. And what I'm doing here is explaining why it is not unusual to hear people say, well, I ate a bunch of pot and geez, I waited an hour. I didn't feel anything. I ate some more. And then about two mm. hours later, I felt something and it stayed with me for the next 12 or 24 hours. Mm -hmm. And it, it puts people from history or from a historical perspective in a chair or a spot where, geez, I don't know how this is going to make me feel. I don't know. I don't know what to expect. And that makes people very uneasy. And then the other bit with edibles is it's, it's, it is very true that most edibles, the, the effect is going to stay with you the entire day into the night through sleep and maybe into the next morning. And that also can make the recreational user very uncomfortable. Mm. So one of the things we've built into our delivery system, our emulsification platform, the source platform, if you will, we've greatly enhanced I don't want to say greatly enhance the bioavailability, but the rate at which it is absorbed into the body and then the thoroughness at which it's done. Um, so what we're after is a very short and reliable liftoff time frame. And we've been able to get it down into the 10 to 20 minute range after consumption. You'll start to feel the effects. The other thing we've done because we've got very uniform absorption is develop what I would refer to as a half-life, meaning a period of time at which you will experience the maximum effect, and then you'll be able to, you will literally say, oh, you know what, this effect isn't as strong as it was a few moments ago. And that runs about 90 minutes for most people that, um, um, that are util utilizing source. So if I'm trying to get back to that beer analogy. If I drink two beers, I kind of know what it's going to do to me. I kind of know how long um, I'm going to be intoxicated or, or feel the effect. And I kind of know how long it's going to be before I can operate heavy equipment again. And it's that management of um, experience, onset, and duration, which is what we consider to be our three key pillars. Um, management of the experience, the homogeneity um, of dispersion in the food platform, and the benign taste or the management of the uh, negative sensory associated with the plant itself. Mm -hmm. So when we say, when we, when we start talking about sensory and taste, there are all these things to consider. Um, but at the end, it's really the consumer there that decides, do you want this to be a benign platform, meaning you know, this is a glass of apple juice. I want it to taste like apple juice, but I want it to be my delivery system. Or, I, and I, I poke no negative fun at this, but do we want to be like um, uh, a five-hour energy or Red Bull or or, um, or uh, Jägermeister, where there is a very strong, pronounced, specific taste associated with it? 
that mm. in some cases people just immediately find unpleasant. Mm. It's almost like that unpleasantness is embraced because it uh, validates the effect you could expect to to feel from it. Um, Exactly. I mean, and, and you know, there, are, there, are, and everybody's different. You know, that's how I feel when I drink a shot of liquor. Um, that is not typically a pleasant experience for me. I don't do it because it's like, mm, boy, that really tastes good. <laughs> <laughs> but I drink my wine that way. I drink the wine because, boy, this tastes really good. <laughs> Well, Scott, you've been uh, very generous with your time. I, I don't suspect you have any career challenges, but would suggest that you have a future as a professor because um, I feel very educated right now. Um, so I want to thank you for that. Before we do let you go, I want to make sure that everyone knows where to connect with Source as well. Uh, there's sourcetech.com. So that's S-O-R-S-E tech.com. Uh, also on Instagram and Twitter as well. And that is also at source tech. And again, it's S O R S E T E C H dot com. Um, thank you very much. I, I would hope that wherever the industry is going, that um, those within and outside the industry are going to look to, to source tech um, as, as clearly someone with passion, but also deep knowledge and um, you know, bringing kind of that food and beverage background uh, will only serve the industry well. So um I want to thank you very much for your time today. Well, thanks for the opportunity. We we are passionate about what we do. We really feel we're helping make people's lives better. Um, should you have more questions, uh, and this is for your audience, please reach out to us directly. We're happy to, to answer questions. And Scott, for you, if, you, if you'd enjoy um, deeper dives into any of these subjects, we're always available. I appreciate it. Thanks again, Scott. All right. Have a good one. Thank you for joining us on Just a Taste, a Chef's Best production. Join us again next time as we talk to more experts in marketing, retail, and production in the food and beverage industry. You can always visit us at chefsbest.com to learn more.